Hey guys, Scott from Scott's Space Lessons, and today we are in Manchester Academy, and we're going to be hanging out with the one and only Billy Sheehan. I'm a huge fan of Billy, so I'm massively excited about today. Hopefully, you guys are as well. So come with me, and we're going to hang out backstage and see what he's up to. Hey guys, how's it going? I am here with the legendary Billy Sheehan. He has been super cool to take time out of his day and come and hang with us. And I was just saying earlier, Billy, I am just a massive fan of you. I've been, I can remember when, like watching VHS videos with my dad. I'm sure it was like when you were playing with Dave Lee Roth. Like, right, right when on. was that? Uh, that was uh, 86. Uh, I, I joined Dave in 85, summer of 85. Yeah. We went out with Talis, my old band Talis, and Ing, to meet Ingve and his band in Los Angeles. In the meantime, I'd gotten a call from the David Lee Roth office. Like, what? And uh, they said, uh, you know, when you're, you know, we'd like to have a meeting with you yeah. about being in a movie. Oh, come on. Yeah. I said, what? I said, okay. So we got there and we had a day off before we started the tour with Ingve. I had a weird uh, week uh, 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 about a month earlier. The, uh, it was William Morris Agency called and wanted to be our booking agent and book us on the Ingve tour. Yeah. Wow, great. Um, Danny Goldberg ran a record company. Can't remember the name of it right now. But he later went on to manage Nirvana as a big, big major, oh, okay. major, major guy. He wanted to sign us. Gold yeah. Mountain Records. That was yeah. mine. And then the third phone call we got was the David Lee Roth office wanted me to come out to LA <laughs> and uh, be in a movie. I was like, what? So, uh, so I went out there and I didn't know what the heck was going on. So sure enough, I went over and had a meeting with Dave at his house. And he said, uh, well, the movie is just kind of a cover story. We want to, I'm going to start a band and we can, you know, I want you to be in the band and we'll go find a guitar player, we'll go find a drummer, but this is this is how it's going to start right here. Wow. I said, okay, on well, one condition, you can't say anything to anybody. Yeah. It was totally sworn to see. So I had to do the whole tour with Alice and Ingve every night knowing this is the oh, last, no, the no last night I'm playing with these guys, you know. Whoa. So rumors started to leak out eventually, and then okay. Super excited though, because Dave Lee Roth obviously had been playing with Van Halen before that, and oh. it was just like a huge deal, right? Well, I always said I wouldn't leave my band Talos for any other band but Van Halen. And then when Dave called, I go, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to you. <laughs> how, did you, how did you even get into this racket in the first place? Did you play guitar first, or was it always bass? Like- I did a little strumming guitar. My sister had a strumming guitar, yeah. and a little Regent acoustic $35 thing. And, uh, but the guy around the corner from me, uh, Joe, he was a bass player. I want to be like him. Yeah. And I saw that, you know, he rehearsed with his band. At the time, there's a million bands around all over the place. We had, uh, as you walked down the street in the summertime, you'd hear one band in the distance as another one behind you was fading. Oh, really? Out. So it's just like really everywhere. Yeah. Drive down the street, you see drum sets set up in people's houses. Yeah. Incredible. Before so, Xboxes, you see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> And uh, so Joe was the band on, on our street. It was a great band. They were one of the best bands in Buffalo. And he's yeah. a great bass player. He was friends. He's older than I, though. My friends with my older brothers and sisters. How old were you around this time? Oh, I was around, oh, I don't know, 12 or so. So I, I was born in 53. So 63 is 10. Yeah, 12 was the yeah, biggest. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so that was the beginning of that. But uh, just uh, as far as guitar goes... I still write on guitar. It's just kind of easier to strum and sing yeah. and get chord structures and song structures down than it is playing individual bass notes. Yeah, yeah. I'll come up with song ideas on the bass, 
but generally it's a strumming guitar. So I'm up to about like Neil Young level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I can do almost nothing that I can do on bass uh, can I do on guitar. Well, when, you, when did you, how old were you when you started playing bass? Around 12, was it? Yeah. Yeah, my grandmother lived with us and she said, as long as I'm alive, there'll never be an electric guitar in this house. Meaning bass guitar, anything, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, swear to God, she passed away. And with the insurance money, my mom, I got my first bass. That's a true story. So I always joke, and we put an RPM meter on her grave to see how fast she may be spinning at any particular time. Amazing. But she was a wonderful woman, but then she just didn't like that, that guitar along there. Like the guitar music. No, no, no. So, you know, so still, like, I, I owe her my first yeah. uh, bass. And, and it my was first always bass, was, bass, yeah. Yeah, my first bass was a P bass, but before I got it, they gave me a Gibson EVO. Yeah. While my bass was being shipped. And I took it home. I had a Fender Super Basement amp, 215s, so 100 watts. And uh, the EVO was great because it had a super deep low end. Uh, that, that neck Is that where you thing. think the love for that sound came from? Exactly right. Yeah. So uh, then uh, when the P bass came, of course, the P bass is the most iconic bass yeah. there is. Sorry, it just is. Uh, and I, I love that bass. Uh, but I wanted that EVO sound on there. So I. Yeah. I don't even know, remember how it went down. I wrote to Gibson and I got one in the mail and it was with a wiring harness and I put it, I didn't know how to wire a, uh, two pickups into one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just ran it completely separate and ran into two channels. So how long after you had the P-Base did you actually fit that EBO to it, that pickup? About a year and a half. Oh, so it was like super soon. Yeah. So this has really been the format that you've been playing in for... Almost forever. Yeah, forever. Almost every, uh, briefly in the band I was in... Uh, called Opus One, a horn band. We uh, it was great to start out in a band with horn players. Yeah, because it, it's a it's a different. So we play Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And the sax player is a guy named Mike Migliori. If you look him up on on uh, YouTube, he played with uh, Don Menza, and Woody Herman, and yeah, Buddy Rich yeah. Orchestra, and he was badass. But yeah. even back then in high school, we had a band together just. Bass, drums, and sax. No chord. Really? Yeah, we, we, we did the high school assembly. People had no idea what we were doing. It was crazy. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, we start, I started in a horn band, and I didn't have it in for that, because I've seen photos of that, and there's still no pickup there. Then from then on, right after that, I got it in there and uh, started using the two channels. Had enough money to get two, two amps. Went to two different amps, yeah. and then eventually all hell broke loose. Are you like? Are you a tinkerer? Isn't it? Into, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I dig deep. I installed the pickup myself the first time. I just took the pickguard off, chiseled a hole. Yeah, I got a little bit of uh, woodworking skills, yeah. but you wouldn't know if you saw the hole I chiseled. <laughs> I, my high school woodshop teacher would be very pissed off at me. Uh, and a man should get it in there, got it on. It was okay. Yeah. So uh, it was uh, that was the that was the thing. So it was a unique tone, and then I found out later. Um, is it Chuck Berghoffer? Berghoffer? Who played the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a pretty bad version of it there. I, I forgot how it goes, but the Barney Miller name. Yeah. He's a session player in L.A. Uh, Berghoffer was his last name. B-E-R-G-H-O-F-E-R. -E and I saw his bass that he used on everything at a shop in L.A. And he had... Same thing. Yeah. Then I saw a bass, uh, one of Mel Shacker's bass from Grand Funk, and he had an EBO pickup on his jazz bass. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then a couple other guys, I've seen it as well. So, uh, and the point is, it wasn't an original idea, but it was 
a solution to a situation that other people found in common. Do you yeah. want the super deep low on underneath what you're doing? Well, that's the position for the pickup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh, all the alembic bases later, they all came out with a dual output. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, the standard alembic, I don't know if it is anymore. Then I heard that John Paul Jones wired his jazz bass two pickups out to two separate amps. Too. Yeah, I heard yeah. that. I, I think the first guy to start biamping was John Entwistle. I think was could very well be John. Was yeah. Another one. yeah, I think John Entwistle had something to do with the development of the round round string. I could be telling vicious rumors, but I think I'm not sure. I know he was uh, uh, enmeshed in the Rotosound company. Yeah, and the first set of Rotosounds I got from the aforementioned bass player that lived on my street, Joe. He gave me a used set of his. And I had the Fender flat ones that around. I was going to say, so you had the flat ones on before, right? Yeah, from the factory, the factory strings I still had on. Yeah, because we didn't know about changing strings back yeah. in the day. Flat ones, you just used to. People have still got the same flat ones they've had for like twenty five years. There's one famous bass player that got the same set on for life. Yeah, really. and, and it's never changing, <laughs> and it sounds great. How, so. When you were like, when you were that age, you know, and you were just getting into bass, who were you actually checking out? Who were your influences? My very first. Uh, well, of course, the Beatles and Paul McCartney. Yeah. That goes without saying. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't said it a lot. I should finally say it. I said, of course, he was the uh, he was the one. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the pickup uh, for a... The Hoffner had yeah, that yeah. position pickup, yeah. too. So you got the super deep low one. Yeah. Uh, Paul McCartney, of course. Uh, Paul Samuel Smith from the Yardbirds. Mind-blowing. Yeah. And uh, he had an uh, Epiphone Rivoli bass, which had that pickup on there, too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's where the, uh, the, the seeds were planted. Yeah. After him uh, came probably the biggest influence on me, uh, bass-wise, was Tim Bogart. Right. From Vanilla Fudge. And it was just, uh, uh, just uh, I think he was a sax player before he played bass. Yeah. I'm not sure. But he just had a take on it that was unlike anyone else. And uh, he, he, he just created this integral melodic move that was uh, reminiscent of Motown, only way wilder. And eventually he explained that he basically was playing uh, Jamie Jamerson, only like the psychedelic, trippy version of Jamie Jamerson. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense because they, they did a lot of Motown covers. Yeah, so yeah, he just probably yeah. took that and went off on it. But So the, the, the chain right back to James Jamerson. It's very strong there. Yeah. And I used to sit down with my AM radio and just play along every song that came on and try to play. I was going to say, were you just like basically working out the songs and just jamming along and doing that whole thing really way, way early naturally, on. yeah. But then I got into a band very early too. Like I said, Opus One was one of the band in Buffalo called The Tweeds, which turned into Talus. And, uh, oh, so Talus was like, you actually were in Talus super yeah, young, yeah. Just coming out of high school. And... Uh, I had a, uh, well, just prior to Talos, it was called the Tweeds. The Tweeds were a band of Buffalo had a local hit. And they were all a couple of years ahead of me in high school. Yeah. So I actually tried out for them once. It didn't work out. Later, they came back to me and had me in the band. Yeah. Then that kind of turned into Talos. And guitar player, drummer were, were in the Tweeds. And uh, uh, we, uh, just coming out of high school, I got involved with them, with the Tweeds. And uh, we just just started playing a zillion covers in a million clubs yeah. every night of the week, constantly. 
And so on the song list, I want to someday I want to compile a list of all the songs I performed. There's a lot of songs. Oh, every every um, you want, yeah. Oh, every style you could imagine. But we uh, uh, specialize in a lot of harmony stuff. So we had Three Dog Night, Grand Funk Railroad, Crosby, Stills and Nash, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. A lot of harmony. So we sang all. Because you time. all sang, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. And that was a great. Uh, fortuitous uh, accident that I'm in a band where everybody's going to sing all the time. Because I never yeah. sang before and said, all right, do we need a third part? Can you sing? And I, who, me? And I, I got yeah, up there yeah, and yeah. croaked out the vocal, managed to get through it. And But we did, uh, you know, some pretty adventurous uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Three Dog Night, all that stuff. And yeah. that later on transferred into Mr. Big. We yeah, got that yeah, yeah. we all sang in that band too. So yeah. kind of a this is, this is a it's a wild web uh, uh, <laughs> woven through uh, this whole uh, <laughs> the whole journey, the whole darn thing. Yes. So when you were when you were playing in Talos, like obviously you as a bass player have got wild technique. It's fair to say yeah. that, right? There yeah. ain't nobody playing bass like you well, that I've ever seen. <laughs> so when did that start to develop? Uh, we were in a three-piece band playing clubs, and uh, it was uh, drudgery a lot of times. We're out there just slamming out, going through the songs, and we didn't we didn't play any originals until about 1979 or so. Yeah. So all through the 70s, we're playing, and we were playing "Stealing" by Raheem. Eventually, you start you know going you know all doing just to kind of break the monotony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also. Another very fortuitous thing is it was a three-piece band, and we uh, had no keyboard player, rhythm guitar player. Yeah. So I had to do extra stuff. So we had a lot of space to play around with. Exactly. So, uh, do the keyboard stack, yeah, yeah. horn parts, and uh, uh, we did Schizoid Man by King Crimson, and there's this... this uh, uh, little uh, s- soprano sax trill. Oh, okay. At yeah, the yeah. end of that. What? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> just to get, just to kind of fill in the little missing things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then again, at one point, it did turn into a uh, just a, a mess. But, uh, I was Everything dying. was going too wild. Yeah, I, I definitely did. And I You've definitely... got to go past the point before you realize it, right? Yeah, well, it was a it was a mess, and uh, because I was just kind of in experimental mode, and I could get away with it, and yeah. I could do it, and thank God I could. And people loved the band; they came out in droves. We, we held every attendance record you could imagine, even with me doing my wackiness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm forever grateful for them to for, to allow me to do that, so I could eventually start to focus it in on on a full uh, package of bass playing, yeah, which included the simplest thing you could imagine to some wackiness. To wild, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. Uh, it, it gave you a platform to kind of find who you were going to be as a exactly musician, right? right? And and that's um, I'm forever grateful for that because uh, a lot of players these days don't have the opportunity to go out and. Um, Play clubs every single night. I mean, four or five sets a night. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and how many years did you do that for? Like playing clubs like that? Probably 15 years. And uh, I'm, I know I'm coming up on about 5,000 gigs. Yeah, enough. Life, life <laughs> That's cool. But we, would, and we, we did three shows in one day once. We did uh, one M&T Plaza downtown Buffalo by the bank. We'd play it outside for all the people downtown. Packed up our gear and PA, went to the Buffalo Bills football practice in Niagara Falls, New York, 
played for the people after that game, packed it up, went to the club Lakewood that night yeah. and played a full show there again. Uh, we did uh, 21 nights in a row was our, was our record, just 21 nights straight. And we were singing the whole time, too. Yeah, yeah, We were always yeah. buying the bottles of chloroseptic and everything. <laughs> Dead in the, the red. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we go, wow, we can sing great now. The next morning we pay for it, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but that's the greatest training in the world. I'm, I'm supremely thankful I had the opportunity to do that because I see players now, you just, there's nothing like it. Week after week after month after month of being on deck and playing in front of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For money. Yeah. So you got to be good. You got to earn your money. You got to get keep them interested, keep them alive and keep them coming back. And those those things that you needed to do really set the pace not only for the business end of it, yeah. but also for your playing. You know, you yeah. really learn what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And a lot of the wildness that I had, you know, eventually started to focus yeah. and became a thing that worked. And uh, I, I moved over into a little solo section, any of the stuff that was, you know, that didn't fit anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you, and you learn, you learn. I'm still learning, of course, but, but the, the training I had doing that is just uh, priceless. Were you, were you fully formed? As in, like, I know you, you're an eternal learner. I've heard you talk about, you know, you learn something every time you pick up the pace. But in terms of that full package, do you think that full package was together when you got to the Dave Lee Roth band? Yeah. You were like, yeah. yeah. Pretty good. And what, before you got that, that offer, like, where were we? Because obviously, like, as I said before, wild player, and you were young, you must have been like, I'm the dude, right? Were you thinking, like, where do I go after this? Did, did, you, did you ever feel like you'd hit kind of like no, a I level just, where you, you didn't know what to do with your I career? Didn't, or? I didn't really have a grand plan or a grand scheme or a vision or I wanted to do this or wanted that. You know, I just, I love to play and I still do and I want to play the best I can by my judgment. And no critic in the world is harder on me than I am. Yeah. No matter whatever YouTube commenter says, I'm, I, can, <laughs> I can beat him. Because I'm really tough on myself because I really want it to be good enough is the worst thing that ever happened to great. Yeah, yeah. And we, yeah. I want it to be great. Not to be, for me to be great, but for me to be able to experience doing something that I feel is great to me. Which could be something yeah. completely different to you. Yeah, yeah. But I really want it to be right for me and the thing I got this. I want to do this and I want to do it right, and I want to get it right on in time, in tune. Uh, and then when I do it, okay. And yeah, I yeah. very rarely actually hit it as hard, hit it as well as I'd like to. Yeah. So there's always that. I'm always you know at seventy five percent, eighty, eighty one, oh, 50, you know, and come back yeah, down again. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a constant battle, but that's my life, and that's the thing that moves me, that motivates my whole life. I, is this chunk of wood? You know, yeah. I, I want I want to be better, which doesn't mean faster, as you know. It doesn't mean. It just <laughs> means how, how how well it appeals to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like there's a. I was just working out. Uh, Once Upon a Time, yeah. as sung by Bobby Darren. Just what a beautiful piece of music. And uh, just kind of working on the chordal version of that. It isn't fast or fancy or difficult, yeah. but it's just something that touches me. Yeah. So, you know, I just want more. So I never really had the idea, oh, i got to be this rock star. I was always a musician. Never <laughs> yeah. rock star, always a musician. When I got to L.A. and David Lee Roth, of course, there was some uh, makeup artists that had way too much control over the situation that we cared to. <laughs> But uh, uh, and that was inevitable. It was the eighties, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do? And everybody did it then. That was yeah, the yeah, whole absolutely. Thing was, but, so we uh, 
we rolled with the punches. Yeah, yeah. So you're still practicing now, right? Like, obviously. I've been here since uh, <coughs> noon. Yeah. With us a lamp going and going. Oh, really? Going. Yeah. So back then, has it fluctuated your practice throughout your career? If you go back to when you're like late teens, how much were you practice then and to now? I, I always practice a lot. I think I practice more now than I ever did, though. Really? Because I have the luxury of having some time. Yeah. We get in and sound check isn't for a couple of hours and I'm in the room and I got a seat and there's yeah. a water or coffee and I got my base. Woohoo! And I just go for, <laughs> for forever. And I'll, you know, go in completely different areas, trying things I've never tried before. I'm not much of a slap player, but I just decided to do kind of my own version of it trying to refine it a little bit. Yeah. It still hasn't found its way on stage yet, but I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah. And a bunch of new things. And then revisiting a lot of things that I used to know. I used to know a lot of Bach pieces and chordal, you know, like a... Like some standards yeah, on yeah, yeah. chordally. Yeah. Not that fast. I did it quick to get it, get it out of the way. <laughs> I would do it as a sensible version, of course. Uh, so, um, uh, when I was a kid, I remember uh, we finished a show. My cousins wanted to go fishing. So, we got out of the club about 4, 4.30 in the morning. Was a, the drinking went on until 2 in Buffalo. And yeah. then the, the place was open another hour. And then the crew had to get the gear yeah. up. So, I'm home. And they show up at my house at 6. And I answer the door with the bass on. And my cousin, John... He didn't say anything at the time, but years later, he goes, man, what we, remember that time we called him? Like, yeah, you had the bass on it. Was, and that was a motivation. Yeah. One of the motivations for his life that, you know. Really, yeah. If you hit, you keep on going. You don't, yeah. you don't stop. And, uh, and people would often say, oh, did you ever put that thing down? And, no. No. I don't actually put it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm really blessed with the love of playing and love of music. I've got a huge iTunes collection over two terabytes of all kinds of music. And it's just a wonderland yeah. of, of uh, amazing stuff. And have you, do, you, do you think that you are, your learning style, do you think you soak it up from other players and then you try and, like say for instance, if you're trying to develop some kind of like slap thing, and I've seen you do it a few times since you've been sitting down, it sounds wicked actually. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you look at other players and you're figuring out what they're doing and then you're trying to find your own feel for it? Like yeah, what's your learning thing, style? The slap, I could never kind of figure out where those notes were coming from. I saw a movement, I heard where is that coming from, you know? So I sat down one time and got done. Uh, apparently, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. So I came up with a riff. I turned into a song later. That's the tough part about it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So I just yeah. sat on uh, outside uh, in my house uh, one time. I just sat and worked that riff out. And and when I got done, it kind of sounds like slap. I yeah. guess I guess it's slap. And then I did variations of that through the through the year. And then I'll go see see Victor Wooten and then give up on that. For a <laughs> yeah. I'm done. See I think everybody's the same. And in terms of like your your plucking hand is ferocious, ferocious. It the, is, the uh, three the three finger thing. Yeah, that is, like was that turned into a real asset? Yeah, like where where was that born out of? Did you start playing with three fingers? I started with one. Did you I just keep adding one? Top and I would go. <laughs> that was my big move. Right oh, there. do that, yeah. I couldn't move it anywhere. I just don't want to drink. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, look at that. So you're pushing down, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of... Oh, so you've got both two. of them are together. Now, that later on, that came in handy when I was hammer-on, doing hammer-ons, 
because uh, to do it's just way too weak. I need that extra thing of it. Yeah. To really hit it super hard. Because yeah. on bass, we can string it uh, light and get the action low and get it to play as easy as a ukulele if you want. But there's a certain level of strength any individual will have. If he pushes too hard, he overwhelms the string and it clashes against the frets and the nothing. Well, that could be a sound in itself, too. Yeah. If, if, he, if, it's, if he's too weak for it, he can't get the things. You've got to find that spot between your action and what your strength is. Yeah, and how that yeah, works. So, yeah. like that intro that Mr. Big addicted to that, Roger. And even without the amp on, it's pretty it's loud. It's popping out, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it's always been important to me. I practice a lot with no amp at all. A lot of times in hotel rooms, you, don't, you can't be yeah. plugging an amp yeah. around, even a small one. And so I try to get everything I can get out of out of the strings yeah. and the bass. Later on, the amp sometimes is more of a of a impediment to it because the bass has this much dynamic range when it's sitting on your lap in a quiet room. Yeah, plug it in. It's huge, yeah, and it's giant. So um, some things don't work. So that's that's one of the reasons why I've always opted for a little bit of compression to just get it back down to the way it feels. Normally. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, these are all the little balance points that I've been I've been uh, dancing with uh, for <laughs> for many years. And when uh, after so when you went to you did the one, then did you start playing with two, and then did you just did you feel yeah? When did you? I think you... I got. Uh, I heard Tim Mulberg go. Take me for a little while was the name of the song, but so that started it. And, and oh, there's this thing where you love breaking down. Yeah, I remember I did a clinic at um, MI when I first got there uh, to LA, um, and it was a whole school clinic, and uh, it was my first clinic there ever. And the, the place is jam packed, and Tim Bogart sitting right in the front. So I know, great, no, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. And I go, well, I got, I just like to say, before I did I got to acknowledge Tim, the whole school roar, they love him there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when I went to explain what I got from him, I didn't even know what it was called. He goes, that's called raking, because it's like a garden rake. Yeah, yeah. Over, and yeah. that's raking. So yeah. just one, it's an easy way. They just kind of fall t- together. Not a lot of effort. What are you doing there, sir? Oh, right, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's just a thing. Um, a lot of things, when they go by quickly, uh, they can uh, obscure their simplicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that actually is, is, is quite a simple thing. But yeah. he, he would do it. He did it initially just a... Just drag it across. So you yeah. Can, it's you like get, a gallop type thing, isn't exactly. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the three thing... Uh, I'm not sure where it actually came from, but one essential element of it was the uh, pickups. I got them co- covered in epoxy. So I Do you like the feel of the pickups underneath your fingers? Yeah, and that's yeah. why you see a lot of bases now with the ramp. And yeah, the, absolutely. The same thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But way back in the 70s, I discovered, because um, I get this, all the Fender uh, instruments, pick one up and just touch the pole piece, and, zzz, zzz, and it always yeah. makes a noise. So it was bothering me that that noise was going on. So I... I, I uh, moved the pickup down and couldn't play. So I realized, <laughs> oh, I see now. So I covered up with epoxy to get it, get that surface there so I didn't get the little noise, the little ground noise yeah, that you get yeah. almost on every fender pickup when you touch it. Yeah, that's a funny yeah. thing. Yeah. And then uh, the three thing came, and I just kind of developed it. I'm using a lot of, uh, there's a couple things in the Sons of Apollo set where there's a, a, a four finger there. 
yeah, know what, yeah, I don't yeah. know what the time is. <laughs> I know I'm playing it, but I couldn't tell you what it is. <laughs> and so. when when you when you practice that three finger thing. Like, did you ever, when you were trying to, like, obviously, this you've been doing this forever, but when you were doing it, do you, did you ever practice, like, accenting with certain fingers and oh, stuff absolutely. like that? You, you did, uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you basically make it four. You're making a four out of three, so it's, it's going to, like, jump at the wrong spot. Exactly. Got you. So it's a... So one lands on a different finger each time. Yeah. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four back again yeah middle finger and you generally always start with the ring finger I generally do yeah it's like a machine gun isn't it yeah and it's you know it gets speedy and quick and one of the things it's good for though it's really difficult to do is the uh, dump so so you've got you've got to keep the pattern (laughs) you've got to keep the pattern so it's that pattern and if you do it in that manner it's I've kind of worked out the uh, engineering of it if you will it's the most efficient way because the next finger hits the next note no matter where it is yeah and the next one and then always goes in that pattern sometimes I catch myself breaking that pattern and I would kind of hear something was not right yeah but as long as I keep that pattern in there uh that the fours and twos are relatively smooth because fours and twos are what most music is. Yeah, yeah. But the good news is when you when you get when you get a a, a galloping or, yeah, or yeah, a, yeah. a three four thing, yeah, you you're, you got it made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot that. Off to the races, aren't you? God rest his soul, Pat Torpy would always be. He would wanted to play because yeah, 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 yeah. Really got the, 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 where it sounds like because <laughs> it's a bunch of threes so it kind of works out like that so uh, and uh, and that's what I, I can spend hours on thinking it through uh, doing getting the right pattern the mechanics of it all yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and generally when I do uh, lessons or teaching I talk about mechanics because few people do they talk about the, the essentials of course musically in theory and in practice but the mechanics of how do you move your fingers to do that, that's what I've always... It's huge, tried. isn't it? It's so important. It's it really like, is. You can drive a car, but you better, you need to be able to turn, you know what I mean, do the shift and... Exactly. It's the mechanics of it that's going to actually get you moving. And then you can figure out where you're going to go on your journey. Using, exactly. You know. And then, so I leave the musical thing up to the individual. You know, if I've ever sat down with anyone or done a yeah. base clinic, okay, whatever, whatever, this country or death metal or whatever you're doing, having your hands... Uh, be capable of any move you need yeah. is only going to facilitate your, uh, your, your... It's never going to be a drawback. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So I, I do a lot of uh, exercises that are non-musical, but I always have to warn these aren't music. Yeah, it's facilitating the mechanics. Yeah. is keeping that, yeah. Because I'm afraid kids uh, are going to get a hold of that and very similar to how they do um, uh, contests to see who can have the fastest double bass drum. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool, but it ain't music. Yeah, 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 yeah. music. Yeah. It reminds me, I always use the story of the DB dragsters. There's, these are yeah, ca- yeah, cars yeah, that yeah. they hollow out, 
And they don't drive, and they just fill them up with so much audio gear, put a microphone in the <laughs> oh, middle. Yeah. And, and it's not even music that they play. It's how loud can they get pink noise, how many dBs they have pink noise at that one spot inside the car. Yeah, yeah. There's no music yeah. being played. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's, it's awful loud. So you see how they've lost some the car stereo. Yeah, some bizarre sports. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, and that's great. That's cool. That's a, and you'll always learn something from that that will probably be of value. Even yeah. if the high speed double bass drum guys, you may learn learn something at some point from that that might be a value you've got to be able to use it yeah you've got to be able to use it when you are playing that like do you if you were playing like a normal groove would you play normally with one or two fingers and then you you move into this hyperdrive and and get three going yeah when do you i see you so it's like a lot of three all the time yeah So a little, and it's it's the drums. Yeah, these are you know I'm trying to. Uh, I had the great fortune to work with Dennis Chambers in a band called Nice. And oh, dude, yeah, he changed it. my life. Got it, changed my life. <laughs> oh, he really did. Uh, my whole line, I played with straight up rock drummers, which is great. I played with some really wonderful players. Yeah, what was that like going from like straight up rock drummers to Dennis Ooh. Chambers? It uh, it changed my it literally changed my life. We were uh, tracking, and. Uh, uh, a fill went by and I thought oh boy that's a little I'm not sure if that works in there and I'm the producer so to speak for Latin we wouldn't want to pay anybody to produce it so there I was <laughs> and I'm thinking oh should I say something I don't know that's Dennis James I'm thinking it goes by a few more times I'm thinking I don't know I don't know so I just said well you know let's go by the philosophy just keep my mouth shut for a while maybe maybe he'll notice it and want to do something about it goes by a few more times and I realized it's right on. It's exactly right. Thank God. I go, ah, oh, I opened my... Uh, Pulling your foot out of your mouth. I thought, oh, man, I get it now. He just does things with time that you don't... That are, that are, and it didn't feel wrong. It just sounded odd. Yeah, yeah. But it was right on. It yeah. was right on. And we did this thing uh, in uh, Niacin where I would do a... Uh, uh, I forgot how to... Yeah. And then uh, I would continue the bass line. Yeah. Keyboard would drop out. Oh. And, and then he would just do his thing, yeah. And so what that, was that like? Was that like? So, you know. <laughs> and like a completely, you know, metric, yeah. metric modulation yeah, 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 is what yeah, it's called. Yeah. But... Um, and I was completely lost. Was he just frightened? And, uh, and he's looking right at me, and I'm looking at him, and he goes, you're lost, aren't you? I sure am. <laughs> and we're live. This is live in front of the whole place. And I'm like, all right. So I finally realized, uh, uh, great lesson. Maybe I, I should have known it earlier, but you need your own internal clock, and you sync it to somebody else. You don't ever rely on anyone else for time. Yeah, yeah. So you, ha- you have your clock, it's your clock, it's your thing. And I felt like I had a pretty good internal clock, but I had kind of abandoned it and yeah. was relying on Dennis for time. And he must have known that instinctively, that being the master, he go, you're relying on me for time, huh? watch this. <laughs> <laughs> so the next set, it was at the Baked Potato in North Hollywood. I just, you know, I just, I just, I kept my time. And he went way out. He went way out. It was all in, yeah. but he can make it sound like it's not. Oh, it's insane, yeah. yeah. And uh, 
So after that, he goes, "Okay, you get your stripes back." You're back in the club. It was such a great band. It was such a great band. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I was always a big three, uh, big a B three uh, fan yeah. from the earliest days. Uh, and I, I grew up with a blind keyboard player who played B3. Yeah. He turned me on to Jimmy Smith and Jack McDuff and Jimmy oh, and all these wicked, yeah, major yeah, yeah, blues yeah. guys. And then, of course, Young Rascals and even Led Zeppelin and a lot of bands yeah. used B3 that people didn't understand. And Vanilla Fudge, of course, yeah. and Bogart. So it was a big part of my life. Like, you've been in some wicked bands. Like, obviously, you know, Talis and then Davey Roth and then Mr. Big. And then, like, you just had a... Yeah, one after the other. What's well, the secret, man? Come on. <laughs> I'm lucky to play with great guys. I'm lucky to play with uh, great players. And I try to... Uh, and usually when a band is going together, you kind of... There's an instinct you have. And I remember way back in the days, um, we get off the set, uh, off the stage after a set, and guys would come up, you talk to people about all kinds of stuff. We, it was, we didn't have dressing rooms in this. So you step off the stage into the crowd. Yeah. Hang out with everybody, look up the clock, time to go, get up, back on the stage. So this fan interaction thing came from a long, long way early days. But we could also have a lot of musicians come out and talk to us. And a weird uh, sixth sense develops where I can tell how good somebody is just by talking to them. Just by vibing. About two or three sentences, I know how good they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right away. So... Uh, so that has come in very handy, as yeah. you can imagine. <laughs> you know, one, one time this guy's name was Chris Vorse. He was a, he had his PhD in analytical philosophy. And what? he came out to say, we played in Geneseo, New York, and there was a, a college near there. And after the show, I didn't know him. He goes, hey, how you doing? Sounds pretty good. Oh, thanks a lot. We talked a little bit. And right away I know, uh-oh, this guy is dangerous. Really? Yeah. And he was badass. I learned a lot from him. He was, he was amazing. And uh, similarly, it's just, uh, uh, so when you're putting a band together, um, Skills are, uh, of course, important, but they're not the only thing. It's the hang. Yeah. Can you hang out? Can you, you know, be on a bus together for months and all that stuff? And you, and you, a lot of times you might dismiss that as not being so important, but it's really vital. I mean, you got to. Well, you've you, done it for a, a lot. I mean, a lot, yeah. a lot of years, haven't you? So, like, yeah. What have you ever got on tour with somebody and you're like, oh. Oh, yeah. yeah they haven't got, you know, yeah. They're not as experienced as being, living in this environment. Oh. Well, you, and you learn, you get coping mechanisms. You learn how to kind of stay away from things and not bring up certain subjects. Yeah. But hygiene is a tough one, though. Yeah. Hygiene is a tough one. So, yeah. I, I mean, me, me and my Share, wife. Sharing like a tour bus. And, yeah, it can, oh, be, it yeah. can get rough. Uh, Socks. And eight, <laughs> guy, eight, ten guys on a tour bus. That's, uh, that can be rough. Yeah. So, I, I, my wife and I, we're clean freaks. You know, I got, you know... I'm rubbing eucalyptus oil on everything. Oh, dude, I'm there. Spraying I'm it down and bleaching yeah. it out. So is it a nightmare for you? It's not a yeah, tall I get through it. I get through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got a coping mechanism. I do, I do. So before I let you go, I really want to respect your time. I, but I need to ask you about the bass because I think that, like, even going just from the start of, you know, what we're talking about today, it's obviously like you had that P bass way back in the day. Yeah. And you had the EBO pickup f- within the first year or so. Like, how has that developed through the years to what you play today? Well, one of the weak points of the P bass is, and I'll, some people might get upset with this, but I, I, I gotta stand my ground on it. The screw that holds the neck on is the wrong screw. It should have a shank. The neck is here, the body is here. There's a hole through the body yeah. and then into the neck. The, hole, the screw passes through the empty hole and, and sinks into the neck. The surrounding that screw and that hole, there should be a shank that holds it and prevent it from moving side to side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times I could take a P bass and just go click, and it's and the strings are like this. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah, and it's yeah. off. Yeah. You can snap it back again, 
And fenders are so great, who cares that it's going to move? It should not, and to 999% of the people in the world, that is not an issue. But for me, I was doing You play that. differently, yeah. And then I don't sustain, I had to give it a little chiropractic, crack it yeah, back yeah, and, yeah. and get going again. So uh, that was one of my main concerns. And I had, on my base, I would lay it down on the floor and stand on it and torque those screws down on the OP base and then jam shims in all over the place. Just to stop it moving. Just to yeah. stop it from yeah. moving. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, and it still would move once in a while. So we did this, uh, the neck to body joint is probably the most, one of the most essential parts of a bolt-on instrument, how, how these two connect. So uh, initially we did uh, two from the back and then two or four underneath it, uh, yeah. a, a tang. The neck was extended with a little piece that went underneath. And we, when we, when we bolted in there. So was this, was this on the old BB? Was this like... No, the BB was a neck through. Was that a neck through? Yeah. The pink BB, yeah. But the first attitude is actually, instead of a wooden piece, it was a metal piece that was bolted under the neck and came into the body and bolted in also. Right, got you. Later on, they changed it to all wood. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and now on this version, there's three here and then two... Go at an angle. I'm a, is that like pulling the neck into the body almost? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it actually pulls it into the socket, and yeah. you can you can loosen those, and the neck will still stay on and play it. Yeah. Then tighten it up, and you and it really become, comes alive because you're going end grain to end grain wood, and you're really pulling them together you're really tight. Them together, yeah. And then otherwise, we just these are the Demarzio uh, pickups I added. These are these are an old set that I put on here, but generally have a pole piece in between pole pieces, just so there's no. Little dropout dead yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think originally they were designed to have the string up a little bit higher. Yeah. And have them be in the middle where now it's kind of neither. Yeah. And um, is the string space in the same as the P base? Exactly. Exactly the same. Yeah. And where this where this uh, volume knob is in the exact same spot too. So I really <laughs> so you know exactly where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm blind. And I apologize to your uh, uh, people viewing. I don't mean to be wearing sunglasses but I, my eyes got hurt last night he was in hospital last night come yeah. on so we gotta, I mean what a true watch out for bright lights I, I apologize <laughs> I'm not cool so no, no, don't worry you're pretty, so, so you're I pretty can't cool man. to be cool you're pretty cool man <laughs> oh, where did the scalp where, where did this idea come from that came from Chris Vorce the aforementioned oh, really? he had a Les Paul where the whole neck was scalloped and uh, because of John McLaughlin I guess John McLaughlin yeah, had yeah, a scalp yeah, yeah, yeah. so this was before even some of the Richie Blackmore because he, I think oh, he may have been Black the first. Is that why Inveil got his? I believe so. Yeah. But I, I like the idea. Well, then when we were on, it kind of goes full circle. We were on tour with Inveil that I had mentioned earlier in '85, and I, I he was so good. I mean, just oh, sorry. I uh, go back and watch them '80s like videos, oh, the R E H videos and stuff like that. Inveil killer. And he would take a, a stock uh, vibrato Fender Strat, no locking nut. Yeah. It was a half step out of tune. And go one, two, three, four, five, six. Eh. Really? Right on. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, really yeah, is a yeah, grandmaster, yeah. you know. Uh, and he's always been very nice to me too. Uh, so uh, I just thought, well, I don't need to have it scalloped here because you couldn't push that string down into the wood, uh, if, no matter what. Yeah. But it might be nice to get the, get that high G note. Yeah, 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 yeah. To get a little bit underneath. Yeah, you can get your your lot of flesh behind there, can't you? Yeah. Ultimately, it isn't essential, but they grandfathered in all the stuff on my P-Base, the neck position pickup, the neck-to-body joint, yeah. piece, and also the last five frets are smaller fret wire. One, two, three, four, oh, five. Ninja. Six, yeah, six, yeah, six, yeah. Six, yeah. Just uh, when I had uh, one of my necks refretted years ago, I noticed I don't really need much meat 
on yeah. the fret there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. why not make it a little smaller so the intonation might be tighter? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they put that in there too as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because so, sometimes when you get up here on the E string, it does the intonation does go a bit skew if yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a, it's a, a bit woolly. Thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the uh, true temper neck, I have one of those. Is that the one with the it's crazy frets? And yeah, it's, it's right on. It's great. And it's amazing how off some of your notes are. You don't realize it. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but, on this bass, is it this bass? But yeah, if I compare this to the to the squiggly or any bass, yeah, to, yeah. to the squiggly friends, I go, wow, that's that's a little off, man. So your ear kind of gets used to that. Oh, good. Do you think you'd ever use it? I will for sure. Recording. It's, you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's just great, especially working with keyboards. It's a little more, yeah, bit yeah. more in tune generally. Yeah. yeah hopefully. Yeah. And <laughs> lastly, about the bass as well. Because I've always wondered it. Do you ever play with just the P bass pickup? Yeah, or if I'm, the EBO always up. Like right now, if I'm just, or if I go to do a jam or something, or just going playing on a, a simple session, I'll just plug the regular P bass in. Yeah, this is kind of more subwoofer live kind of thing. Yeah, and recording with it also is very nice. Get that extra, put an extra track at the super deep low end if you want to bring it up on any particular point. Yeah. but most everything comes out of it. Is there any tracks that you've just used EBO on? Yeah, there is. Yeah, uh, I played on uh, some. A couple of Beatle tributes and a couple of other things where you you want that old that old tone. Big fat vibe, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a different version of pickup. Actually, Yamaha made this pickup for this bass. Originally, it was supposed to be a, a DiMarzio, but they had a production uh, problem. So the next ones will be a DiMarzio uh, version on here. Uh, but but I still got a couple of the old big giant uh, silver. EBO. Oh, you still got the old one. Yeah, so I yeah, bought yeah. two Warmoth bodies and P-Base yeah. bodies and Telecaster necks and put all my old parts on them. Did you do it? Did you do and, it yourself? Yeah. And it, 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 they came out great. Warmoth, I couldn't uh, recommend them more highly. They're a little project. Really great, they? Oh, yeah. they're perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were just flawless. Yeah. Really great. So I used up some of my old parts, <laughs> tuning, <laughs> tuning bags and pickups and them on. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. I threw it all in there. Got, finally got some use. And some of it was from the 70s, you know, long, long, long ago. Yeah, yeah. Funny. Well, man, it's been an absolute honor. My pleasure. Super honor to be able to hang with you, man. Well, well, Thank I, you I so much. I learned a lot from you. Oh, dude. I Get really out. do. No, I really Get do. Get out of town. It's really great uh, to uh, watch someone with a command of uh, explanation and training and uh, an understanding of something enough to educate someone else. They say if you really know something well enough, you should be able to explain it to a five-year-old. Even nuclear physics, if you know it well enough, you yeah, should be yeah. able to. And you obviously know it well enough because your explanations are, are just really wonderful. It's been helpful to me. Because I'm never one to think that uh, some beginning or fundamental thing that I have command of it by any means. You know, I'm, 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 I always want to learn. Every time I sit some young kid down that's just beginning to play, he'll probably do some little thing and go, hey, wait a minute. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of cool. I'm yeah, yeah, steal yeah, that yeah. So <laughs> thank you for, for what you do for, for the bass community. It's quite wonderful. You're an absolute star, mate. Thank you so much. Right. Thanks very Guys, much. Guys, bit of shame. Take care.